I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by VP and Senior Research Director Matt Greeny to discuss our 2023 predictions for tech leaders. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, we're excited to talk about this one, Matt, because, you know, we've gone through several of these podcasts talking about the the predictions and economic uncertainty seems to be the driver of a lot of our predictions. But you have a unique situation. The tech exec is actually expecting to have growth in their spend. As a matter of fact, we're expecting that there's going to be about $4.8 trillion to spend worldwide. So just to get us kicked off, like set us in context. What does 2023 look like for the tech exec? Yeah, it's a, it's it's one of the questions that we get on on talking to clients all the time, and uh, you know the message we give them opens some eyes. And you know to to look at that growth in a time like you said of that economic uncertainty, people ask us why. And what we like to dial back to is the pandemic. And when the early days of the pandemic hit, we started preparing forecasts, and we had a lot of negatives. Uh, into those forecasts. But when we went back and did the postmortem, we found that actually only one quarter really had negative tech spend during that whole pandemic. And when we did the the reasons why, uh, talking to clients and then doing some of our own uh, reconnaissance, we found out that the reason was that companies continued to invest in technology to get closer to customers and to engage and enable their employees. And we think now is no different. You know, at a time where it's hard to get employees, you know, we're going in potentially to a recession at a time when we're fully employed. So it is hard to get great talent. And so if I'm going to be going into this environment, you know, how do I actually make my employees more effective? It's technology. How do I better engage very fickle customers, very demanding customers? It's through great technology that can let me differentiate the the products, the services, and the experiences. So we do see that growth. And one thing I'll put to you, uh, Keith, is that while we talk about that 4.8 trillion, recognize we're going to hit 5 trillion a year out. And that's quite a milestone. And when you look at that in terms of total global, global GDP, technology is a massive part of how the world is growing and how we're going to be successful in the future. Now, the one thing you guys did discover is it, you know, you're actually predicting that it's going to be a little bit more pragmatic rather than innovative. In fact, I think you're the exact quote you prediction is that 80% of companies will pivot innovation efforts from creativity to resilience. What does that mean? Yeah, I think what, you, what, what we're going to see here is what you do see, uh, you know, when, when the world is trying to really reallocate resources, you know, there's going to be a premium by the executives, by CEOs, to see more of the results in the here and now. And some of those longer term, you know, those creative investments are going to be delayed a bit. And so there's there's two ways to look at this one. One is we see a lot of investment that's going to be much more into things like automation, AI, ML, right? ARVR. These are key technologies to improving the way that we do our jobs, getting access to more insights so we can make better decisions in the future. The other thing is some of these newer technologies, we think people are still going to do them. You can you can really look to Asia for this. You know, they're doing some very cool things still with blockchain. They're doing some very cool things with um, NFTs and with metaverse, 
but they're not really the big picture wins that most people have in their mind. They're pulling it back into the here and now, saying, where can these technologies deliver value over the next six to nine to 12 months? And so that's the pragmatism that we want to bring in and get people thinking about. We really see a lot of People that we talked to really focused in how can I be successful in 2023? We think it might you know, slow us down a little bit of that future growth, but eventually that will ramp back up. Now, to be clear, we're not killing all innovation efforts. We're just being more calculated about it. Yeah, we're just think about the portfolio effect, right? You know, if it's if it's a basket of stocks, you know, you've got some things that are value, you got some things that are growth, right? You know, it's a rebalancing of that. What are the things that can give me more of that value in the near term? You know, keep us, you know, where we can better enable that employee, right? Make them more effective, right? Make them more efficient. Those are the investments that you're going to see more of a shift into, and then some of the funds from that come from those longer term initiatives. And so you do have to rebalance those longer term. Uh, more creative investments. And so, you know, that's the way we like to talk to people about it. But Matt, you're, you know, in your predictions, you're not saying it's all sunshine and rainbows, right? Like this is, there are a few that, a few of your predictions that are are driven by economic uncertainty. So maybe, maybe kick us off with one of those. Yeah. And, and just to set that context, you know, if you dial back a couple of years, Jen, um, you know, we were seeing growth in the U.S. at like 9% on the tech side. So it has been, you know, cut in half. So to your point, yeah, it isn't all sunshine, but I do want people to realize that, that, that we are still going to be investing and tech's going to be at the fore. But one of the problems that we're going to see is, you know, even as that uh, growth slows, um, that's causing ripple effects across a lot of the marketplace. And so one of the things that you've seen a lot of and, and that we've really been tracking is the problems that we've had out with a lot of the SaaS providers, right? You've seen announcements where uh, companies are pulling out of certain geographies. They've started doing asset sales. When you look at total valuations, they are down significantly. And so that we, we predicted that we think you're going to see at least one high profile SaaS failure in the next year. Um, now, that will have ripple effects for people that are working with that provider, whether it's a company going out of business or if they have to sell off assets and things like that, that will really affect the tech exec. It will create some opportunity though. And the opportunity will be for the smart tech exec, that smart CIO or CTO that will use some of the challenges that these folks in those markets are having to think about how they optimize the solutions that they're using, how they optimize the price points that they're paying and how they get more value out of that relationship. So, so there, there's a definite downside to this because it really could affect your partnership network. But if you get ahead of it, you do some work to under, identify where those challenges may be. You make sure that you have the quality vendors that you need, and then you figure out how you optimize your relationships within that portfolio. But in this case, I mean, the economic downturn was a trigger, but there's a bunch of stuff that's been going on leading up to this moment, right? There is, you know, and this is the thing, you know, we, you know, the, the, the pre-pandemic, the, the last recession had been 12 years before. Uh, the world was flush with cash, right? Uh, valuations were getting to ridiculous heights. There was always going to be some kind of reckoning. I think what you're seeing is an accumulation of that reckoning, right? You know, there, there's some of it coming off of the pandemic. There's some of it off of all of this availability of capital out there. And then there's also some scarcity out in the world. So, so I do think some of that's been building, Keith. It's not just this moment in time, but it's an accumulation of those factors. 
And not that we want to name names, but are there a couple of sectors that you think that are more vulnerable? You guys had to have talked about that. Yeah. I mean, when we were looking at the SaaS, you know, we were looking at some of the core products that you see from the CRM to the HR side of things, uh, you know, workflows, a lot of these core solutions with some of the biggest vendors out there in the marketplace that you would recognize. We're not going to sit there and go pick out niche markets or anything like that. But the, the projection that we have here are in some of the major uh, application categories that these SaaS players uh, play. And so combining the two uh, predictions that we just discussed, I mean, you can think that a lot of the effort is going to go into look at these SaaS players and innovations that can happen in business process, automation, risk management, all the things we learned from the pandemic, right? Is that where we're going in 23? I think there's a big piece of that. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's where, you know, I'll use what we developed a while ago when we talk about future fit, right? Part of this around that pragmatic, that, that, that drives some of the resilience that we want to build, right? Resilience is our ability to deliver on a brand promise regardless of the situation. And over the next six to nine to 12 months, while businesses are working through a lot of the economic challenges, the tech team has to be able to deliver capability across the organization on the core business, but they also have to provide that optionality to be able to go after new opportunities. And this is where the adaptive and the creative come in. And the people that get it right from a technology side, they're going to have those great predictive insights. They're going to be able to move people, capital, and technology to seize new opportunity. And then honestly, um, this is what's going to set them apart. And uh, our future fit research really brings that to life. And uh, interestingly, I was at a, um, I was doing a speech yesterday and I heard um, uh, the lead economist from one of the top strategy consulting firms talking. And he made the point that, you know, while there'll be challenges in the marketplace, he said, the winners are going to be the people that act now. You know, they're going to be the ones that are going to be ahead of the downturn. And so a lot of what we're talking here, you know, if we assume that my run the business budget is going to go up, right, like we're talking about, inflation is going to be driving a lot of that increase. So for a lot of the new, I'm going to still have to find efficiencies in my budgets, and so I've got to be smart and find the things that I can keep a cap on or even reduce a bit while I make the right investments moving forward. And so, you know, this is that thing where we want people to think about future fit. We want them to plan appropriately in 2023 and make sure that that adaptive muscle has you ahead of the curve when things start to come out and you can be the winner. All right, let's step away from the economy for a minute, although it's just inevitably going to be a driver. And let's talk whistleblowers. You had a unique call this year where you're predicting that whistleblowers at at least two firms outside of big tech are going to grab some headlines. You want to add some color to that one? Yeah, I, th I think when you look at whistleblowers, um, you know, big tech is all, well, when you look at technology, the big tech is always the canary in the coal mine. And that they've really set that agenda with the whistleblowers. Um, you know, all these whistleblowers that come out and start to talk about the ways that technology has been used, frankly, inappropriately and, and driven uh, results that, um, that aren't things that we really can be proud of or that we want to drive towards. You know, a big driver of this is that there's just so much work being put behind the scenes into AI. And then we're doing so much work with partners that a lot of the tech shops, you start to lose some of the control. And then, oh, by the way, your business is doing things with these solutions and with partners and what as well. And so now when all of this 
big technology estate starts working to deliver value for your employees and your customers, how can you be assured of how those systems are making decisions and do they, do they comport with your company's ethics? And do they comport with ethics and society in, in general? And um, we just think it's a matter of time where employees in a couple of uh, companies outside of big tech, you know, whether it's a retailer or whether it's, uh, you know, an energy company, um, consumer products, anything like that. We just think you're going to start to see where people are going to start to raise the flag and blow the whistle on behavior in these companies with the way that they're developing solutions and then using them to engage and sell to customers. Um, is being done in a way that doesn't um, align with the company's values and society's values. Matt, is there anything around sort of the transition to remote work, anywhere work that that is connected here, meaning that technology or AI tracking productivity, employee productivity that is here where employees would be whistleblowers for their own firm, not just for the the technology or what have you? Yeah, you know, j- just the whole work from home just opens up a lot more doors anyway into um, how employees are working. I think, you know, one of the threats there, honestly, is as, as more and more companies look to try and get employees back into the office, um, you know, this does raise the potential for, you know, employees to maybe raise the specter. You know, there's a lot of people that that like and value the work from home. And does that raise some of that potential? I'd like to probe a little bit farther, Matt, because um, you're raising a point. This this one feels like a buildup. Um, you know, privacy has been a challenge for a while. Certainly, advertising has been hit the hardest, but the DOJ is getting involved with that. Um, you've cited some pretty good research around ethics and responsibility in tech. Um, all these come into light with you know, let's face it, you know, culture. We get a little bit of societal unrest, like. What's the tech exec really going to do about any of this? Well, I think the big thing is that, you know, if you're a tech exec or if you're hiring someone to become one, I think you really have to reevaluate what that role does, how you put it in the organization and what skill sets you want for that person. You know, we're, we're seeing a lot more of a trend towards the tech exec being much more of a business leader. Um, we're seeing much more of them being held responsible for revenue generation. Um, we're going to be coming out with a report on this uh, in the next couple of months where we're going to show that, you know, the expectations of CEOs on this tech exec, the CIO and CTO, is them to drive value in companies. So going back to what I talked about with tech spend, you know, they're going to give them the money, but they need to see results as that comes out. And so as you start to look at this, I think that's where you have to start to think about this. And now, does that get me around this issue of where the tech is being put in all throughout the organization? No, but if I have somebody who's much more of a business leader, they have a bigger seat at the table, now they can take a more expansive view of the company. I do think there's another piece, though, where you are going to probably see certain roles uh, develop. We've seen already with some of these chief trust officers and some things like that. You're going to need to either in that tech exec or somewhere else in the organization, create somebody who's got the scope and the responsibility to go after and ask the right questions of the way the technology is being used um, to create value. So while we're on the topic of, of big tech, there's a really interesting dynamic going on with talent out there. Uh, that you had in one of your predictions, looking, uh, getting a little bit more creative with talent. And 
it's interesting because here we are, we're reading headlines of, you know, big tech firms either freezing hiring or actually laying off. The economy's rocky, yet we still think that this is a talent constrained market. And you have some predictions around this too. Talk about the talent issue for the tech exec and that prediction that you made. Yeah, you know, big picture, um, you know, we still think talent short and long term are going to be a challenge uh, moving forward for tech execs. Few reasons for that. Um, you know, one, uh, you know, there, there's just so much growth in the marketplace. Two, there's so much diversity from the technologies to the development side of things that you know the scope and scale of what you need in your department are growing. Um, the other issue, though, is in a lot of the the tech world. There's been more of a push for this anywhere work concept. And so, you know, we had a conversation a few months ago where we were talking to a client uh, in the middle uh, part of the U.S. And they were having a problem where all the local tech talent was getting snapped up by large tech firms and large consultancies based on the coast. They were coming in and they were paying anywhere from 30 to 50 percent higher. And so they were asking us what we should do about it. And we were thinking of all the things around the options, around employee experience and all of the things they could do to retain and attract. And uh, one of our you know, more famous uh, research directors said, well, maybe they're just in trouble. And, and if you think about that, you know, if, if you can go get talent from anywhere, all of a sudden you, the cost dynamics can greatly shift. And that's what these folks were going to be experiencing. And so that ability to go get talent is going to be a real challenge for the future. So you are going to have to still think about, you know, how you build that. We think, you know, in the current environment, you're going to have to stay with some version of anywhere work yourself, because there are just certain people in the tech world that are used to working on screens like this. And that's the preference. The second thing, um, we think that you're going to definitely have to think about, you know, where, what other alternate channels, uh, a lot more of the freelance world is going to come to play. You're going to have to think about how you bring them into your model, how you're using them for sometimes more strategic things than you've ever done before. We also think that people are going to have to uh, really uh, identify talent and upskill it using things like uh, computer schools. The Holberton School out in Australia is doing some fantastic things. Um, and then even using things like MindSpring and some of the big consultancies that are developing learning platforms. You know, those are being used by a lot of companies to, you know, either be, introduce people to tech and or help them matriculate through their tech career. So a lot's going on with that. But then the one thing I'd close on on the talent side um, is that this is why I think you're seeing so much power in the big provider space. It's getting harder and harder for the CIOs and CI CTOs today to, to get the people they need, the right people at the right price point. And then also, how do they invest in all these technologies and deploy new solutions? When on the other hand, you have big tech and big consulting that are able to make massive investments and hire, you know, every year these big companies are hiring 50,000 to 100,000 people, depending on where they are in the world. And they're bringing all these people in and they're training them to do these services. And so I think, you know, where you can't go get the talent, that's where you're going to see more of this partnering to offset some of that. And, and that's something we're going to keep a close eye on. So big headlines aside, uh, with all the big tech firms uh, slowing or, or letting pe people go. Like this is one of those that just seems like an opportunity in 2023 for the smaller firms or the upstart companies to actually go get talent that they otherwise were getting bid out of. 
Yeah. Now, one one caveat, and then I'll come to your point there, Keith. You know, the one caveat would be recognize when you're hearing like, you know, Meta is going to, you know, do a bunch of layoffs. That, that Just because they're a big tech company doesn't mean they're getting rid of all their coders. Right. Even when when Musk bought Twitter and, you know, he released uh, arguably up to 50 percent, he wasn't getting rid of all of his coders. You know, he even made a comment. Somebody had asked him what was the the biggest learning he had in the first day on the job. And he said that for every one coder, we have 10 people in management. So when these companies are getting rich, just because they're a high tech company, they have finance people, they have people in HR. Right. So so you got to understand that. But to to your point now. This is a great opportunity to really think about your talent strategy because the people that you know might not be retaining jobs in some of these companies that are on the tech side, they're going to be looking for different types of opportunities. And if you can present that value proposition to them, you can have appeal. But this is where you are going to have to think about, you know, what is my strategy in terms of location? Can I enable anywhere work? That opens my the aperture, right? You know, now I can look at more company, more employees to bring into my company. A lot of opportunity there, but I think 2023 could be a real uh, kind of level setter for a lot of companies out here to get access to talent, like you were saying, that they may not have seen before. All right, Matt. So with the tech leader actually uh, holding the budget in 2023, uh, what is your recommendations for what they should do with the the money that they do have. So it, it, about a month ago, maybe two months ago, Keith, we, uh, for the first time, put out a report uh, across multiple different areas, but it's called a planning guide. And a planning guide is out there to help leaders make decisions around their budgets moving into 2023. So we did it at the same time we were doing a lot of this forecasting. We call it a planning guide. So uh, it's out there. You can go find it. It's the planning guide 2023 for tech execs. And when you go into that, we, we really talk about three big buckets. There's the places I want to increase and defend investments, right? These are the things that are going to create value for my firm. Um, the big things here, you know, we want people to keep their eye on the, that, the, those applications that can deliver revenue, right? We want to stay on top of that. A lot of those investments focus down, make sure they're delivering for customers and employees. Um, and then also think about your operating model and how you optimize that operating model to better deliver for your business and your customers. The second part is we talk about getting rid or cutting spending that doesn't move your value moving forward. This is that portfolio. Um, a lot of portfolio manage here, management here. You really have to get rid of these investments where it's unclear on the business or customer value that they're delivering. This is when you get these unclear strat, uh, strategic investments, um, this is where you get like bloated cloud portfolios. This is where you get a lot of the technical debt. And, you know, we just see technical debt still accelerating at a, at a great pace. So that's the second one. And then the third element is we still want you to experiment, right? You know, going back to future fit, this is all that adaptive and the creativeness. You got to really focus on those pragmatic investments that drive your employee forward. You've got to build these co-innovation partnerships that I was referring to. And then you also have to opportunistically think about that emerging tech. So, so keep that framework in mind. You can find the report, but you know, you really want to think about the, the, the right investments, cut to help fund it, and then experiment for the long term. Great stuff. Matt, we like to ask this question as the final one. Uh, we only publish five predictions, but there's a ton of stuff that, you know, is discussed. What's the one prediction that was on the cutting room floor that you, you feel like you, you might have published if there was room? 
Yeah, I think the one that the, the one that I would point to on this one is that I really think we're getting to a point where we've talked about digital transformation for years. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of say that everything's digital these days. So, you know, trans, it's just transformation. But I think we're getting at the point now where we have to really start to look at this, this concept of AI transformation. Um, I, I really think that, um, you know, with the combination of RPA and AI uh, coming through, I think there's going to be a certain set of companies, Keith, that you're going to see, especially over the next year, that are going to go really deep into automating and putting AI across every part of their business. And then they're going to take all of the data, turn it into insights, and then they're going to input put that insights into the code, into their software. And so now they're going to be, create these closed loop systems that are going to drive massive amounts of value. And so years ago, we had talked about, you know, the first autonomously native company. I think this is going to be the first like, you know, AI native company. And I think, you know, whether it's somebody from the, you know, the start getting to that point, I, I do think there's some big companies that are really starting to make these investments. And I, I do think it's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to watch. They're going to really use the humans in the loop just for the high level value add, but they're going to have so much information, so much insights that they're going to be ahead of their customers in the way that they, I, I mean, it's ahead of their competition, the way they identify customers, the way they think about what products they have, the services, and it's just going to be a really interesting future to watch. Fantastic. We look forward to that call in 2024. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Excellent. Thank you for having me. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.